Oh, yeah. integrity. Um, yeah. Well, what a again, what a very strange week. So uh, UEFA during the week announced that they uh, reached an arrangement with the uh, nine of the twelve clubs that had, uh, threatened to s- set up the, uh, the the Super League, and I guess to, to nobody's surprise, um, the punishments are are mild in the extreme. If They're indeed, an insult. One I, think, I think that I think that that fine, which correct me if I'm wrong, it's fifteen million euros each. No, it's not. It's not. It's not even close to that. So it's fifteen million euros in totality, and that's going into a pot to be distributed amongst grassroots football. And in addition to that, five percent of what they earn from European football this season—that's the penalty. So, in in the case of, uh, I'm just trying to think. In the case of Liverpool, that will be one point two million euros. 1.25 1.25 million euros for the 15 million euro fine, plus probably something like three, three and a half million euros, which will represent 5% of the probably 70 million euros that they'll earn out of Europe this year. Wow. That, or, that's, an, that's an insult. For, for Chelsea and for Manchester City, because they're getting through to the, they're through to the Champions League final, you know, the fine will probably be somewhere around about 5 million euros. And, and what, what, you know, because this is more your world than than mine. What? Why do you? What possible? What possible justification do you think there is for an action which seems as timid as that? Well, there's clearly an awful lot going on behind behind the scenes, and this has to be set against. And I think I mentioned this a couple of podcasts ago. UEFA are arranging a. An enormous loan of around about six billion, six thousand million euros to be distributed amongst European clubs, most of which is going to go to the biggest clubs, and then they will pay that money back from future earnings from the Champions League, if they're in the Champions League, from the Europa League, if they're in, in the Europa League. But all of this is set against that background. So what what the what UEFA have said essentially to these clubs is. The moment that the Super League was announced, if you come back in, the penalties will be light and you already know that we're going through the process of arranging a loan, which is going to cover almost all of your losses as a result of COVID. So by staying with us, you're going to be in a better position than, than, than you would be otherwise. Clearly, had they gone to the Super League, they would, they would have earned more money, but they would have fallen out of the Champions League and all, all the consequences of possibly not being in the Premier League and everything else. So this is a, this this has to be looked at in the context of a much wider deal and a much wider negotiation that's going on between UEFA and all the big clubs in Europe. UEFA is saying to the big clubs in Europe, you stick with us, you throw away the opportunity to go to the Super League and not only will the punishments be light, but we will actually continue and go forward with the plans to raise money to lend to lend to you. But we can only do that if you re, if you remain within the UEFA family, because if they if they're not within the UEFA family, the Champions League has no value, uh, and therefore they can't they can't get the money from lenders. And what about the fact that they've rejigged the the European the the Champions League format? Yep. So in a way that, from what I read. Quite a few of those British top six clubs didn't like at all. Klopp was furious about it. Is that is that going to stay? Is it 
you know. The, well, there's, there's two things. The owners are, are, are delighted because there's, there's now a much greater opportunity to get into the Champions League, even if you don't qualify on merit because of this coefficient uh, calculation. So if you're one of the very best clubs in, in Europe and you happen to finish fifth or sixth, there's still a chance of qualifying for the, for the Champions League. So from, from the club owner's perspective, that's great. What Klopp is complaining about is there's a certain number of additional games that are now going to have to be played. The group stages are going to go to 10 rather than the current six. I think it's six, isn't it, currently in the, in the, in the group stages in um, yeah. in the Champions League. So that's another four games that need to be uh, cal- you know, put in, put put into the... Uh, in, into the calendar. That's what he's annoyed about. So Quite he's nice. he, he's annoyed about it from a footballing perspective. The owners, they're delighted because it means more revenue, more exposure, higher gate receipts, higher match receipts, higher merchandising receipts, more broadcasting revenue, greater sponsorship opportunities because they're now being seen on for at least 10 games rather than six games before they get into the knockout stage. And can I ask you one more question? As regards the the six English teams, what do you think the chances are that the Premier League itself will deliver the kind of punishments that it feels the fans, and I mean, ha-ha, the fans, um, are wanting to see for those clubs? I think there's almost zero chance of that happening. I think there will be no, um, no sporting consequences and there will be uh, financial penalties placed against each of those six clubs. What level of those penalties will be, they tend to sort of follow uh, what happens in, in, in UEFA. So if you use the UEFA example, there will be a, f- a fixed penalty, maybe a couple of million pound, um, and then there will be probably a penalty similar to the UEFA penalty, which is 5% of earnings, which... You know, for one of the six, top six clubs, is going to be anywhere between five and say seven million pound pocket money. So less than t- less somewhere between, probably somewhere between five and ten million pound per per club. So yeah, pocket money. Yeah, a reserve t- a reserve team player signing. It's an insult. It's an insult to the intelligence of people who follow football. So so this thing that a fortnight ago. Three weeks ago was, you know, the biggest thing that had happened to football in a long, 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 long time. Has now gone, oh, no, it's all right, Joe, calm down. We're just going to finish off the ironing and that'll be that. That's it. There's no there's no wrap over the knuckles of any kind. Not of any consequence, correct. Wow. The, the interesting bit is what's going to happen with... The other three. The other three, Yeah, yeah. And I suspect what will happen is that UEFA are going to go to them and say, okay, here's a date. Where are we today? We're 9th of May. You've got two weeks to either accept the penalty that's been offered to the other nine that they were already accepted, or we punish you by not not being in the Champions League next year. Right. They could probably get away with that because it's only three clubs. They could probably get away with that without destroying, again, use that word loosely, the, in- the sporting integrity of the competition. Obviously, it has big impact for, for Spanish clubs, but that then also means that other Spanish clubs, rather than Real Barcelona Real and Real Madrid, can qualify for the Champions League. But I think I think that's what they'll do. They'll say, 
you, you know, you've got a period of time, probably something like two weeks. And then if you don't accept that, then, then sorry, you're, you're not in the Champions League next season. And do you think that would only be a one year? Yeah, I, I mean, I'm obviously guessing, Andy. Um, yeah, I know. Yeah, I, 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 think, I think it would be something that obviously penalised the clubs and impacted the clubs greatly, but wouldn't impact the, the value of the competition. And, and this, is the, this is the difficulty that football has. I'm going to climb on a soapbox here. Okay. I've, I've, been talking, I've been talking about governance. And the problem you've got with UEFA is the same problem that you've got with the Premier League, is that they are, they are both the promoters of the competition, but they're also the regulators of the competition. Mm. And the two sometimes conflict with each other. Because what you might want to do as a regulator, you know if you do it, damages the value of the competition. And you don't want to damage the value of the competition because you are effectively the competition organiser. So there's this sort of split split in loyalties. Obviously, they have an obligation to regulate in inverted commas because they, they want to stop people from doing what they propose to do in terms in terms of the Super League. But at the same time, both UEFA and the Premier League are not necessarily going to do anything that sort of overtly damages their own position. Absolutely not. No chance. No. Which I mean, is, if, correct, me if I'm, correct me if I'm wrong then. If, let's just go down this scenario of UEFA give Juve, Barcelona and Real Madrid a fortnight from the end of the season to accept um, the tiny fine that the that the other nine have accepted, um, or they or they would be potentially banned from the Champions League for let's say one year. Well, in, you'd you'd expect then that for them to be to qualify, they'd need to win La Liga or Serie A the following season. But they wouldn't because they've already got sufficient coefficients to qualify for the Champions League the year after. It'd only be a one-year holiday at best. Well, you'd you'd expect them to qualify through their domestic league positioning anyway. Yeah, but 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 what I'm saying, Paul, is that let's let's say the two Spanish clubs were banned from the Champions League for one season. Yeah. And the following year, or or that year that they're out of it, Atletico Madrid win La Liga. So Atletico Madrid qualify as champions, but Barcelona and Real Madrid probably would as well because of their historical coefficient, yeah, which, is the, this new, which is this new ruling that's been brought in, yeah, where that, might, that, you don't even have to be successful to qualify. That new ruling doesn't come in until 2024. Ah, so two years then. Yeah, so well, you know, Spain, as, as does Germany, as does Italy, as does the UK, uh, sorry, as does England, has four places in the Champions League. Right. So it's almost impossible to conceive that both Barcelona and Real Madrid would finish outside the top four in La Liga. Yeah. So they're going to, you know, they're going to, they're almost certainly going to qualify for the following season. And that article, Paul, that you wrote about the governance of football, in which you focused on fan involvement at board level, is like a, a, a cry in the dark. Is anything going to be done about this? Isn't there some committee, some government committee that's meeting to discuss this rejigging of football? All right, so what happened this week was that Chelsea's response to their fans' concern 
was that they said that they would talk to the Chelsea fan groups about uh, creating a situation where there was an election for a fan representative to sit on the Chelsea board. Whoever that person is, he or she, would have uh, no voting powers. So they'd be an observer and they would be there under strict conditions of confidentiality so that they couldn't discuss what had happened in the boardroom with anybody outside the boardroom. So, <laughs> Sorry. Well, you know, I mean, the, the, the idea that an oligarch is going to give something for nothing is just, you know, is frankly yeah. ridiculous. So, you know, it sounds great. And, you know, those that don't necessarily think these things through thought it was a great idea and a way to go forward. And it's absolutely not the way to go forward. It is just a sop. It, it is complete nonsense. It doesn't do anything for the game because what it will do is it will give the clubs breathing room to say, we listened to you and we've absolutely. responded by allowing you to sit on the board. You can't do anything when you're on the board and you can't say anything about what you, what the board has done, but you're there. So for me, that, that idea whilst it's, it's attractive from a PR perspective for the clubs and for the Premier League, is an absolute non-starter. It's yeah. just, just a complete waste of time. It's a nonsense to be there as an individual, not as not representing the fan groups, not, resent, not representing a, any other person, just themselves. Well, the, what a waste it, of time. They're not representing anybody, not even representing themselves, because they, no. don't, they can't... They can't communicate anything about what happens in the boardroom because they're, they're subject to the same confidentiality agreements that all the directors are. And have we have we any idea what the other what the other clubs have have said following this announcement from Chelsea? I think Liverpool have had some discussions with Spirit of Shankly and maybe one or two other Liverpool groups. I'm not entirely sure. I know. Sorry, yes, they did. They had a meeting with Billy Hogan. I think last Tuesday in in London, but I don't know what the outcome of that was. Um, Manchester United, the Glazers responded to the um, Manchester United Supporters Trust, uh, must as it's known. Mm-hmm. Um, they demanded that he reply in public to, I think it was four major points that they made. And he, he, he um, the Glazers actually did that on Friday. They responded in public. Um, where it goes from that point, I don't. I, um, at this stage, I don't know. But what I what I was suggesting was something that's entirely different. First of all, you have to separate the Premier League and UEFA from being uh, competition organisers, comp- competition uh, sponsors in a sense, because they're, they're they're getting a benefit from it from their regulatory role. So. Yes, they can arrange the competitions. Yes, they can take some of the revenue from the competitions. Don't have a problem with that because obviously you need somebody to do that organization and the marketing of of the competition. But the regulator is somebody entirely separate. So in the same way as, for example, I don't know, in banking, as in sort of energy, as in law, um, as in pharmaceuticals, you have a completely separate body that regulates the, the whole business, the, the whole industry. Right. And that would be put together initially by the government and they would report back, you know, the, that regulator would, re, independent football regulator would report back to the government and would set up a number of policies 
and made sure that all of the leagues across Europe, but in, in this case uh, across England, that they re responded appropriately to that and, and they kept within whatever those policies were. But the really interesting bit for me, that, that's essential to do because I think but if it's you, not going to be done. Well, it might, it, it might be done, George. It might be done. All right. Good. And the reason why it's really important to do is it takes, it, first of all, it separates the Premier League from, from, from the regulators. And secondly, if the regulation is proven and to work, and I made this point on social media today, it will attract a different type of investor into football because there's a whole raft of investors out there. And I'm not talking about um, oligarchs or billionaires or, or even some of the more dodgy state funds that are currently invested in football. There are thousands upon thousands of institutional investors, pension funds, insurance companies, banks, other institutions that would, that would look at football because there's an, an awful lot of good reasons to invest in football, but they won't currently do so because football is so badly run and football doesn't have the governance structure that would permit them to invest. Mm -hmm. and, what, and what I'm saying is at UEFA level, at FIFA level, at Premier League level, if you make the governance structure correct, if you make the regulation of football correct, then you will attract far more investment from proper investors than you ever will do from a sort of collection of rag, ragtail um, billionaires, which is what we've got now. Absolutely. And those people would have a financial, would have a purely a financial interest in investing in football. So the interests, their interest and football's interest should be totally aligned. What we've got at the moment is the, the reason why people invest in football is different depending upon who you speak to. So if you speak to FSG, uh, if you speak to the Glazers, if you speak to Kronke at Arsenal, it's very clear. It's, a, it's, a, you know, it's, it's an investment decision first and foremost. Abramovich is not an investment decision. There's a whole raft of reasons why he invested in Chelsea. It's got nothing to do with whether he makes money or not. It was more about the, the circumstances that he faced at the time. And now it's more about pr promoting soft power for, for, for um, Putin and the, and the Kremlin. The same with Manchester City, their owners. Why, why are Middle Eastern investors inv investing in football? Well, it's seen as a, a good thing to do around the world and it promotes their country and it promotes, again, this concept of soft power. You could remove all of those spurious reasons for investing in football if you made football more attractive to proper investors. And, that, and, that's, and that's where I think the game has to go. It has to regulate itself properly. Well, not regulate itself, get regulated properly. And then it will attract investors that will have will be better investors for football in the long term. And it will mean that those people that don't like the new regulation, well, they have an opportunity to leave, to leave the game. And if they don't like the new uh, regulation, as far as I'm concerned, um, good riddance to them. But aren't they, more than like, aren't they more likely, Paul, to go, well, that's not going to happen, Sonny Jim. We've made a bundle out of this and we're not going to throw a bundle away just so you can have of the game regulated the way you think is right. We're in charge here. We've got the money. We've made the investment, aren't they? The Glazers are not going to listen to pie-in-the-sky stuff like that, well, are they? Well, it's not pie-in-the-sky. If, if you No, create, I don't it, think it... Sorry, Paul. I didn't mean that. It, I think it's pie-in-the-sky. I'm just perhaps putting it in words into their mouths as to what they would think of what you've just said. 
right, which so is dangerous, seditious nonsense. I, I would pick up the phone to Joel Glazer if I was like running the Premier League. I'd say, we're appointing a new regulator. That regulator will provide the conditions under which you can be involved in football. And the Glazers will say, well, what does that mean? And I would say, what it means is that the regulator will give you a license to operate in the Premier League. And that license will have a number of conditions attached to it. Financial conditions, conditions about how much they invest in the community, uh, conditions about how much they invest in their academy, regulations in terms of how much they can spend on players, regulations on how much they can spend on, on wages, just as you know, a small number of, of, of examples. And in order to get that license, so in order to operate in this league, you have to conform with the conditions of the license. Now, if you don't find those, those, those license conditions acceptable to you as an investor in Manchester United, sell your stake because there are 100 Ooh. institutions out there that would yeah. buy your stake from you. Name your price. And as long as the regulation of football is good enough and strong enough and can be implemented and there can be penalties for not acting in line with the regulations, then you will attract other investors who see the value. You know, football, we've, talked, we've talked about this on many occasions in the past. Sorry, I know I'm talking a lot here, but... No, it's all right. We've yeah, talked about in the past that you know Manchester United say they've got more than a billion followers around the world, yet their turnover is, you know, seven, six, anywhere between 650 and 700 million pound. So they're not even getting a pound per follower in terms of revenue. For for a business that's, you know, that, that's nonsensical. The opportunity to make football much bigger than it is football. Football is still a very, very small industry. I mean, it's massively popular, obviously, and it has newsworthiness much beyond actually what it, it what it actually is sorry that's not very good english but the point is in terms of monetizing football people haven't even touched the edges of it yet but the reason why they haven't touched the edges of it is because the type of investors that football attracts and football attracts rogue investors because they know that they can get away with things that they wouldn't be able to get away right. with if, if there was a proper regulator um and is that what the the Real, Juve and Barca meant when they released that statement that said that football was in crisis. I didn't understand how they managed to think that forming another league was going to solve some enormous problem that I was too stupid to grasp what it is. Well, football is in, football is in crisis. They were correct in one sense that football is in crisis. And football is in crisis because... There's no control over spend, spending. I mean, yes, there's FFP and yes, there's profitability and sustainability rules in, in the UK. But, you know, Manchester City and PSG have proven over the years that you can yeah. drive a coach and horses through, through those rules and regulations. The, the problem is that both, and, and, you know, Perez was speaking specifically about Real Madrid, but you could apply the same argument to Barcelona they spend too much money. And the, the solution to them spending too much money was to generate more money by taking a bigger slice of, of the pie that's available to football. Not once have they turned around and said, well, actually, wouldn't it be, you know, if, you, if you're doing your domestic budget and you're finding that you're constantly, your wages are running out on the 20th of every month, well, what they've said is we need more wages. What they haven't said is 
we need to cut back on back on our on our um, expenditure. Our, our expenditure, our spending, and that's and that's the problem that there's this. Uh, I've used this expression before. There's this arms race in football because it's not regulated properly, which means that clubs think that they have to keep on spending more and more money each year in order to either remain competitive or to become competitive. Unless you stop that behaviour, there's never going to be enough money because. Let's say the Super League had gone ahead. What would have happened? It would have mean it would, it would have meant two, one of two things: transfer values for players that could play in the Super League would go through the roof, and mm-hmm. the way the wages of those players would, you know, still increase even further from the ridiculous levels that, that they're at now. So that wouldn't be in the it, it would have solved a short term solution in terms of. It would have been a period when the money went up more than uh, the costs went up. But then without regulation, the costs would soon soon uh, catch up with the money again. And you'd just be in a bigger problem somewhere down, somewhere down the line, say three, five years down the line. But, and that was the problem that he was referring to. As I understand the Premier League, Paul, and please correct me when I go wrong here, the Premier League regulates itself. So you're, what you're actually talking about, the idea that you bring in a regulator to regulate the Premier League, is a bit like Turkey's voting for Christmas to those big clubs. Why on earth would they... You've, you know, we've already, you, you've said many times that the big six are making all the rules anyway, and the, the fabulous 14 or whatever they're called obviously haven't got the... Um, the um, cojones to <laughs> to try and take them by the short and curlies and do something with them, the crooks. Um, so that's not going to happen, is it? Well, the, the, what you have to do is you have to argue with the... With to have the, an independent regulator, will it? What you have to argue, George, is you have to argue with the government and say, look, football has such um, societal value yep. that we cannot leave it to run itself anymore. And the evidence of why we cannot leave it to run itself anymore is what we've seen with Project Big Picture and what we've seen with the Super League and what we've seen with this enormous imbalance between the six in the Premier League and the other 14. If we leave it to run itself, it's going to destroy itself. So we have to step in. And governments are very good at stepping in and regulating uh, businesses when they have a, a political interest in doing so. And especially right. a populist government like this, whereas I mean, it, it sounds odd because you know, n- normal conservative policy is not is not to interfere with business; it's to sort of laissez-faire approach of deregulating. But actually, populist governments like to regulate because they then get involved in the process. And if if they were being seen to improve football, to make football stronger, uh, to provide pathways throughout football to make the pyramid itself stronger than it currently is, not just the Premier League. It'd be and, a vote winner. And may, yeah, exactly. And maybe, you know, get money down to grassroots without them having to invest. Then there's a, there, there's a, a small chance that they, they might do that. And that's what this um, DCMS committee and what yep. people like um, Steve Rotherham, Andy Burnham, uh, even Gary Neville with his beautiful game project, all of those people have to get together and accept, first of all, that the competition organizers can't be the regulators any longer. Yeah. So we need regulation. And then secondly, 
we need a structure that allows fans to come into the boardroom and actually be a significant part uh, of the decision-making process. They don't have to have an economic interest in football, but they have an interest in, in, in the future of football and in, in the future of their clubs by being um, effective board members. And the way I think you do that is you set up uh, what are called fan trusts, and those fan trusts hold what might be termed a golden share, and that golden share allows them to intervene in, in, in only a, a small number of circumstances. So, for example, change of ownership or change of badge or change of ground or even change of location, you know, like when, like when Wimbledon moved uh, to Milton Keynes. Mm-hmm. So there would be a small set of circumstances in which the club, the, the fans themselves or the fan trust had power of veto. And if you had, if you had a fans trust, the fans trust itself could appoint uh, non-executive directors who have got great experience in business, possibly, you know, legal experience, accounting experience, whatever. And they would be able to advise the fans on matters which perhaps not all football clubs have fans that have knowledge of. Yep. So so how you, far away is all this stuff? How far away are Gary Neville, Andy Byrne and Richard, whatever you said his name was? Well, at, at the moment, they're just all disparate numbers, uh, disparate people who, for diff- again, for different reasons, uh, just like me, have put ideas down on paper and published them. Right. Now, the, 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 the government are doing a review at the moment, and I don't know how long that review is going to take. So they're, they're committed to that. Uh, but as to what level of change they want to do, that's where, that's where the argument lies, and that's where I think all football fans have to get involved and have to understand why it's so important that the, the in, degree in what of way, change. Paul, sorry, this is, this is really important, I think. Yeah. In, in what way do you think I, as a football fan, should get involved? Well, if you're living in the UK, right. the first instance is that you, you write to your, your MP and you ask to talk to your MP about this matter and you... Obviously, as as one individual, it might not make any great significance. But no, but I think that you know, what, forty thousand forty thousand Evertonians wrote to all the MPs exactly. in Liverpool. It would make a difference. It, that's exactly what I mean. You know, those United fans that stopped the ever the 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 match against Liverpool, they were complaining about the Glazers, and I understood that because you know what the Glazers have done to that institution is um, unspeakable. But you could sense every other football fan going, yeah, that's that's right. I, I'm i angry too. And I'm not sure. There was an excellent article in The Guardian by Jonathan Liu saying the fans are not sure where to put their anger. That's why I'm asking you this question. Well, no, no doubt some of them will continue to direct it at the owners, but the owners, as, as we know, will pay some form of lip service to that and then continue going on. The only way that this can be changed is is government. And right. the only way to get the government to change something is to pressurise individual MPs uh, and ministers uh, to do something. So in the first instance, it's to write to your MP. In the second cool. instance, it's to write to um, the DCMS, and I can put the details on, on the website, and say, you know, this is what I think should happen. What is DCMS? What does that mean? 
Dominic uh, Calvert. Moment. No, the <laughs> uh, Department for Culture, Media and Sport. Right. Okay. That's, you know, you know and, and again, anybody listening to this, if they've got better ideas than I've got, and I'm sure they have, get the ideas out there because this is, this is the opportunity to make, make some changes. Um, but it's not just some changes that are needed. It is wholesale change that's needed. It's right. structural change across the whole industry, which actually should make the game. It might have to go through a slightly difficult period because change is always difficult, but it should make the game a much better game for the future and, and a, a game that doesn't just focus on the top six or the even the 20 in the Premier League or even the 92 clubs that are in the Football League, including the Premier League. It should be a pyramid that goes all the way down to grassroots. You know, if you compare, we've been talking a long time, or I've been talking a long time, but if you, know, if you compare, for example, the way a 10 or 11-year-old kid plays football on a Saturday morning in England on a muddy pitch that's probably been going to be used half a dozen times over the weekend mm-hmm. uh, with you know, crap changing room facilities, with no uh, coaches that have got... Uh, coaches may be good meaning. I'm not demeaning any of the coaches, but they may not necessarily be adequately coached and they may be more interested in their team winning rather than developing good footballers. Mm-hmm. If you compare that experience in England to if you go to many of the, particularly the Northern European countries, so the Scandinavian countries, you go to yeah. Germany, even if you go to Holland and Belgium, and you'll see, you know, 5G pitches, you'll see uh, local authorities providing proper coaching for kids. And it, and that's, that's where football has to end up. Yeah. All of that can only be paid for by what comes out of the, the top of the game. It's like anything else. You know, the, the top of the game has to ultimately pay for all of this. But if it's structured properly, pro- properly, sorry, it can be it, it, that can happen. Yeah, it's, so it's, it, it, it's funny. You, you brought when you mentioned Germany, then it brought back a memory. A few, few years ago, we were on holiday in Germany, down in the Black Forest, and we stayed in a tiny little village, a really small village, maybe a couple of hundred people. And up the hillside, there was a football field and a clubhouse, and this football field was immaculate, beautifully manicured, and there's a little clubhouse there with a bar, and, and there was a the guy was cutting the grass. This was in the summertime, so there's no football going on. Um, but we were up there, and the guy invited us in, to come in and come in and have a drink. We went in, and on the walls of this little clubhouse were, were all the plaques of all the Bundesliga clubs, Bayern Munich, VFB Stuttgart, Dortmund, everybody. And there was a there was um, there was a pennant from Bayern Munich, and I said to him, "Oh, how did you get that?" He said, "Oh, he said they brought it when they played a friendly here." And it's like, "What? You had Bayern Munich play here?" "Oh, yeah, yeah." He said, "No problem." So we just invited them, and they came down and they played a game. He said, "You know, obviously, we, you know, there wasn't thousands there." He said, "But all the people from all the surrounding villages came and watched Bayern Munich play." Uh, FC Berneck. And this was this was a village side who and genuinely they played Bayern Munich and he showed he got the photograph book out and showed us all the photographs. It was amazing. But the, the, the structure of football in Germany is way better than it is in the and you're right, the coach the, the level of coaching. Um you know, all the coaches are 
have to go through the badges, you know, even down at school, schoolboy level and everything. It, it's it's way better organised. Good. Food for thought. All right, gents. <laughs> We've been talking for a long time, so we probably should leave it there. Right. Grateful, Paul, because there's a whole pile of stuff I didn't understand and I'm much clearer, and I hope some of the people who are listening feel the same thing too. Because sometimes you can just get lost in the fog and, and you, you wait for, you know, for, for the clubs to be relegated, you wait for the clubs to be slapped a huge fine, you wait for point deductions, nothing happens. Mm. And and you it's horrible to hear, well, it was horrible to hear me and Andy laugh when you said the word integrity. One would like to think that the sport that you follow, the way we follow it, had got some integrity and we laughed at the idea. And I'm sure most people do at the moment. So it's good to hear a, <laughs> um, a pathway out of it. I'm not saying my ideas are, are, are the best ideas. I think there'll be plenty of other you know, very good ideas out there. But a lot of people will say, uh, you know, it's not it's not necessary, it's not needed. Uh, the game's fine, it just needs tweaking at the edges. It doesn't need tweaking at the edges. It needs wholesale change. Um, because if we don't get that wholesale change, then what we've experienced in the last couple of weeks, we're going to experience again in, yeah, in, a, in a couple of years. Exactly what's happen, exactly. And the very, the very fact that what's happened in the last few weeks is largely going to go unpunished tells you that there's got to be massive change. Yeah. Um, but you the can't pro- have people riding roughshod over everybody else and then getting away with it. The problem is no matter how bad these guys run football, they're not going to keep making the same mistakes in terms of presenting or trying to create a new structure for themselves. The next time they come back with a Super League proposal or they come back with a big, another big picture p- proposal, it's going to be a proper one because they've, they, w- they will have learned some of the mistakes that they've made mm. in the last six months that have meant that these things haven't got off the ground. You know, they, they, may, they may not be the best um, business people in the world, but there's still some very good business people in football. Unfortunately, their interests aren't necessarily in football. They're in, you know, it's self-interest. But it does mean that unless you stop these people, they're ultimately going to get their own way. Yeah, and that's and that, and that's that's what we've got to do at the end of the day. We've got to stop them getting their own way, or at least make their own way consistent with the best interest in football. Otherwise, we may as well all just go home now. <laughs>